So we've been in this series called Together, where we've been studying the things that we do when we gather together. And it all started with this verse in Hebrews 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So there are three things on your checklist this morning that you need to do before you are allowed to leave church. First, you must stir up love. That means you need to be a part of a conversation. You need to contribute to an environment where love wins, unity reigns, uh, peace is given. Uh, Number two, you need to stir up good works in someone else. That because of a conversation with you, that you've done something to contribute to someone's perseverance in doing good in Houston, Texas this week. And number three, you need to encourage someone. You need to build up someone's faith. Some word that you say needs to put wind in someone else's sails. That is the requirement when we gather together according to Hebrews chapter 10. So if I'm trying to do those three three things, we're asking ourselves today, how do I do them most effectively? How do I stir up love most effectively, good works most effectively? How do I encourage most effectively? And the answer today is through your spiritual gift, your spiritual gift. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse one. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So we're talking about spiritual gifts today. And spiritual gifts are listed to us in three primary places. In Romans chapter 12, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. And you may look at this list and you may say, well, something I'm good at is not on there. And and that may cause some anxiety. Well, this is not an exhaustive list. Paul doesn't list an exhaustive list. He's saying these are the types of gifts that are available in the church. Although I will say most of these are very broad and most of us can find home inside these lists lists of gifts. We find, for example, serving. We see in the scripture a lady named Tabitha. Tabitha had the gift of serving in Acts. Her primary way of serving was to knit and weave garments for widows in her church. And it was more than just a, a kindness of someone. Her ministry meant so much to these widows that when Tabitha unexpectedly 
passed away and died. The widows came to Peter with urgency and said, you must intervene. You must do something. She means so much to us because she had the spiritual gift of serving. We find teaching. We find encouragement. Barnabas had this gift. In fact, when Barnabas came into the church, he had a different name. But the apostles recognized his gift of encouragement. And so they named him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So you can imagine coming to church and joining a church, a family. And we look at you and say, hey, your birth name has been nice, but we're going to give you a whole brand new name based on our experience of you. That's what happened to Barnabas. He had the gift of encouragement. There's the gift of giving. We're all supposed to give as an act of worship, but there are some people who God seems to use unusually through their gift of giving. We see this in the scripture. There was Jesus, there was his disciples, and then outside of that, there was a group of women who would work and give money so that their ministry could be funded. The ministry of Jesus and his disciples. There's the gift of leadership, which I think 1 Corinthians 12 lists as administration. There's some bleed over there. Somebody gives you a project inside the church and you're able to take it from point A to point Z. There's a gift of mercy. The good Samaritan had this gift Two People saw the man injured on the side of the road. They did nothing, but the good Samaritan stopped the gift of mercy. My wife, Amanda, has this gift. We can find out bad news about somebody At the same time, I receive it mentally and she receives it into her heart, uh, into the depth of of her heart. And because she does that, she's able to minister and respond and comfort in a much deeper way. It may just be that she's a good person and I'm a bad person, but I like to believe that she has the spiritual gift of mercy. There's the gift of wisdom. There's the gift of knowledge. There's the gift of faith. Of course, all of us need faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But there are some people when they meet an obstacle, they just have overwhelming faith. Jesus said, if you have enough faith, you can tell this mountain to move, be thrown into the sea. And you meet some people and it seems like, you know, maybe they are the ones who could actually pull that off. They have such an overwhelming sense of faith. And then we see in the list of, uh, that's found in Ephesians chapter four, these are spiritual gifts, but they're also offices inside the church as well. There's apostles, there's shepherds, there's teaching, there's evangelism. Evangelists, they're the, the ones who are bold and effective when they share the gospel, when they share the story of Jesus. I had a mentor in the faith and, and he had the spiritual gift of evangelism. You know, talking about Jesus can just be awkward. I mean, I mean if somebody approached you on your way out to the parking lot after church today and said, hey, can I have a few minutes? I want to talk to you about Jesus. Your initial instinct would be like, "Eh," you know, like, are you weird? Are you cool? Because talking about Jesus can be awkward in certain settings. But this guy, he had an amazing way to disarm all that awkwardness and he could just bring up in just a, a moment, open a door in a moment to have a conversation about Jesus. He had the spiritual gift of evangelism. And then there are the more mysterious gifts in these lists, gifts like healing, the gift of healing. There are some people that God uses more often than others that when they pray for someone to be healed of illness, there's effectiveness there. God gives, um, according to James chapter five, he gives this gift to elders of churches. He says, if you're sick in James chapter five, you should call the elders together and they'll anoint you with oil and pray that you might be healed. And when healing happens, it's because God has given them the gift of healing. You might say, well, if people have the gift of healing, why don't they just go down to MD Anderson right now and and just go from room to room to room and pray for people to be healed? That, That seems like something that should happen. But we don't hold that same requirement to any of the other gifts. 
Not every time a teacher teaches does every student have an aha moment. Not every time that an encourager gives encouragement is that person's outlook totally shifted in that moment. And it's the same way with healing. Not every time that we pray for healing does healing happen. Not even with those who have the spiritual gift of healing. But there are some that God in his sovereignty has said, I'm going to anoint them in this way that when they pray more than others, healing happens. There's also the gift of miracles. A miracle is an extraordinary occurrence that cannot be explained naturally. There's a gift of distinguishing or discerning spirits. These people are able to evaluate a situation and see a situation on every level, not just the surface, but what's happening on the surface, under the surface, behind the surface. They're able to know, is this drama that I'm having in this relationship, is it just normal human drama because we all are dramatic or is Satan and his forces stirring things up? People who are able to distinguish spirits are able to tell the difference. Then there's the spiritual gift of prophecy. Prophecy is an important gift in the scripture. Now, I do want to say that there is a difference between old covenant prophecy and new covenant prophecy. The old covenant was in the Old Testament when God said to the people of Israel, this one people, I will be your God and you will be my people. And he would send prophets to them, prophets like Isaiah. And if Isaiah showed up at your house or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Elijah or Isaiah and they, uh, or Elisha, and they knocked on your door and they said, uh, we have a message from God. Your requirement at that point would be to agree with it and do whatever they said. That's why we see many of their words in the scripture. But the new covenant gift of prophecy, the new covenant, where does that come from? It comes from what we studied a few weeks ago, where Jesus at the Last Supper holds up the cup and he said, this is the new covenant established in my blood. We are all invited into God's family, whether you are from Israel or you are a Gentile, wherever you're from, we're all invited into God's family by the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and return of Jesus. He's made a way for all of us. That's the new covenant. And he promises to be our, our God and we will be his people for those who have believed in the name of his son. So it's the new covenant and the new covenant gift of prophecy is different an old covenant gift, but it is still very important. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse one, it says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. Verse three, the one who prophesies speak to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Verse 39, earnestly desire prophecy. So what is it? Prophecy is the speaking of a specific and spontaneous thought that God has brought to mind for the building up of someone's faith. It is a specific, spontaneous thought that God has brought to mind for the building up of someone's faith. Now, I wouldn't say that I have this gift all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but there have been on occasions uh, where God has given it to me. I was um, spending some time with five Young Life interns earlier this summer, and we were just doing a little Bible study, and, and we spent about an hour together studying the scripture, getting to know them, and at the end, I wanted to pray for them, and I wanted to pray for them uh, individually and by name, and so right before I started to pray, I just kind of paused and said, God, is there anything specific that you want me to pray for each one of these, instead of just a general prayer, which there's nothing wrong with a general prayer that can be filled with faith and um, can be heartfelt, but God, is there anything specific that you want me to pray. So I began to pray for the first one by name. And I did. I got this 
thought in my mind and I prayed that thought. Then the second one came and I got another thought and all the way around, I had something specific to say about a a situation they were in or maybe a anxiety that they were feeling as they were getting ready to begin their ministry this summer or a situation or just something, something specific. And after I finished, I said, amen. And I looked up and their eyes were this big around and they were laughing a little bit and they turned and they said, how did, how did you know all that? And so I just explained to them. I just stopped and I asked God, God, is there anything specific that you want me to pray for these people? And, and he did. This is a new covenant gift of prophecy. Now, the, this new covenant prophecy, it doesn't hold the same level of authority that the old covenant prophecy did. It's not thus saith the Lord. It's not a new page in the scripture. In fact, the apostle Paul, he, he tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Verse 20, do not despise prophesying, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. So if someone comes to you and they say, I was praying for you this week. And as I was praying for you, I got this specific thought in my mind for you. And I feel like it's from God. And I want to share it with you now. When they share that with you, it's your responsibility to test it. Does this resonate with the work that God's doing in my life? When I hear that, do I agree with it? Does my spirit agree with it? Or does there seem to be something off about it? We see the apostle Paul using this testing in Acts chapter 21. He is on his way to Jerusalem and he stops somewhere. And it says in verse 10 that through the spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So Paul is on his way to Jerusalem and a group of people come and they say, Paul, we're praying for you. And through the spirit, meaning we think we're filled with the spirit and we think this is a word from God. You should not go to Jerusalem. Paul tests it and he goes to Jerusalem anyway. He did not believe that it was what God was leading him to do. So the new covenant gift of prophecy is different than the old covenant in that way. Now, I highly regard this gift here at at Bayou City. In fact, anytime someone makes themselves known that this is one of the ways that God uses them, I invite them to come and pray with us at 845. Before church starts on Sunday morning, we gather together, whoever's here, all of our volunteers, and we pray together at 845. I like to say it's, it's probably the most important thing that happens on a Sunday morning when we gather to pray in that moment. And when people reveal themselves to say, you know, hey, I have the gift of prophecy and God uses me in that way, I say, will you come and pray with us? Because in that prayer meeting, God might say something specific to, specific to you that we might need to share with the church. And that gives us time for you to potentially get a word from God, for us to test it, and then to share it with the church in some way. It can be an awkward gift to to use. Like I said, I I don't get this gift uh, regularly, but there have been occasions when I felt like God has given me a very specific word for our church. I'll never forget the first time that it happened to me. It was just a normal Sunday morning. It was probably within our first year or year and a half at Bayou City. We turned five next week though, which is pretty great, but it was in the first uh, year and a half and I preached the sermon and then we were having a time of prayer as we do every week. And so I went and stood off to the side waiting to come back up and close the service. And we hold hands together. We've been doing that from the beginning, by the way, uh, just in case any of you think it's weird. It's just our thing now. So we do it. Um, and so I'm waiting. And as we're singing, as people are being prayed for, this just very specific word just comes into my soul. And it is it's hot with 
immediacy, and I know that I need to share it. The problem is the word is that there is at least someone, but maybe more than one someone, who is actively planning to give in to temptation to an adulterous relationship. And we've already had the full church service. You know, you want to share that thing at the beginning so you can have time to end positively. The only thing left is the final prayer. But this word just is alive alive in me. And I know I can't hold it off to next week. And so the prayer time finishes and I come back up to close and I say, "Uh, hold on just a second. We're going to have a little family moment. So if you're a guest with us today, you just plug your ears. This is not for you, but for the family. And I kind of even go and stand over here just to make it feel a little bit more like family. Maybe, maybe because the guy was on this side. I don't know. But um, I say, uh, I feel like, as best as I can tell, somebody in here this week is, is currently planning to exit their marriage vows and give in to an adulterous relationship. And I just want to say, don't do it. Okay, see you next week. <laughs> the spiritual gift of prophecy. And then there's the spiritual gift of tongues. Uh, Tongues, you can see this definition on the screen, is the act of prayer or praise using syllables or languages not known to the person praying or praising, supernaturally empowered by God. The act of prayer or praise using syllables or languages not known to the person praying or praising, supernaturally empowered by God. Now, I see three instances of speaking in tongues in the New Testament. First, in Acts as a visible and audible sign of the Holy Spirit's presence. In Acts chapter 2, you remember what's happened. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has ascended into heaven. And what does he tell his disciples? He says, I've given you a mission. You're going to take my story, the gospel of God's love and redemption to the entire world. But I don't want you to do it yet. I want you to wait. And that's what they do. They wait. And so they're praying in an upper room. And on the holiday of Pentecost, people had come from all over. Jewish people to celebrate Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem. They're praying in this upper room. And the Bible says this invisible but audible storm comes through. And it's loud. And these tongues of fire come down miraculously and mysteriously and land on the disciples. And they begin to speak in tongues. Now, what happens is there are people who hear this commotion going on and they come around. And they are hearing these disciples speak in their own individual languages because they were from all over the place. And so they're hearing Spanish and they're hearing French and they're hearing Latin and they're hearing all of these things. And they knew the disciples didn't know these languages. And what that did was it created the opportunity for Peter to step up and preach the very first sermon of the very first church. And many, many, many people were saved in Jesus name. It also happens in Acts chapter 10. Peter gets a dream to go to Cornelius, who is a Gentile. Now, you remember at at that moment, most of the Jesus followers were Jewish, just like Jesus. And they felt some hesitancy, hesitancy in expanding the circle. But God sends Peter a dream and he says, I want you to go. And so Peter goes to Cornelius and Cornelius had been praying. God, send me somebody to talk to me about all these things. And Peter shares the story of Jesus, Cornelius believes, and it says in Acts chapter 10 that he speaks in tongue. It happens to the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 19, Paul comes through Ephesus and he finds some disciples who had only been baptized in the 
the name of John the Baptist and had not been baptized in the name of Jesus. And so he baptizes them in the name of Jesus and he prays for them. And in Acts chapter 19, I'm quoting here, it says, and the Holy Spirit came on them and then they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. So this is one of the instances, the ways that we see tongues in the New Testament. Number two, we see it as an element of corporate worship. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. When you come together, each one, <clears throat> excuse me, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at the most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. So the apostle Paul says, this is what happens. We all bring something to the table. Some of you are bringing a tongue to the table, but there also needs to be an interpretation when that tongue is given. So there's some order here. Now, I grew up Southern Baptist and Southern Baptist, we didn't really know how to deal with some of these mysterious gifts. So we would get to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and then skip on to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It wasn't that we were opposed. We just didn't know and we skipped over it. So I didn't grow up with any kind of framework about these things. The first time I ever experienced any of these kinds of gifts at work, I was 17 years old. And I went with a friend to a Friday night, <clears throat> excuse me, prayer and uh, worship service that a church of another denomination was uh, holding. And, and so we went and um, it was just a very powerful environment. You know, God is always with us. He's always with us. But there are occasions when it seems like he pulls back the curtain and we are more aware of his nearness than other times. And, and that was happening just very powerful. And there was a moment of silence in between the songs. They were transitioning from one song to the next. And in that silence, somebody starts speaking in tongues very loudly. So the whole room can hear. You're like, well, how did you know it was speaking in tongues? You'd know when it's happening, you know. And they prayed like that for maybe 30 seconds, not very long. And then there was another moment of silence, people just waiting and from the different side of the room, somebody began to speak in English the interpretation. And I remember my soul and spirit being built up for a couple of reasons. One, I think there was something supernatural happening, but also something I had read about in the Bible, but nobody had ever taught me. Nobody had ever cared to explain something I read about in the Bible. I just watched practice exactly the way it was in the scripture. If you're wondering if your day-to-day -day obedience matters to Jesus, it matters a lot because, because when we're able to see somebody living out the scriptures, it's very, very powerful. Somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago, well, what would you do at Bayou City if somebody just started speaking very loudly in tongues? And I said, well, I've had a plan. I've had a plan for five years now. <laughs> it's been in my pocket been in my pocket and uh thank you it's been in my pocket i've never had to use it but it's in my pocket so here's the plan just to share the plan with you sharing the plan i think is probably as good as the plan when it happens if somebody started speaking very loudly in tongues i wouldn't stop them you know why i wouldn't stop them because at the end of first corinthians 14 it says do not forbid speaking in tongues so never a good idea to disagree with the bible so <laughs> it would happen and then I would say, just had a moment of speaking in tongues. Most of us don't have any kind of framework. We don't have any kind of grid of what happens next. Here's what 1 Corinthians 14 says. When there is a 
public tongue given like that, God is going to provide an interpretation. So right now, somewhere in the room, somebody has just received a message from God and it is on fire inside of you. You didn't ask for it. You weren't looking for it, but it is like fire in your bones. And we need you to step up and say that out loud because you've been given the interpretation. So if the tongue is given and the interpretation is given, then we just go, well, 1 Corinthians 14 just happened among us. Now let's move on. If the tongue is given and interpretation is not given, this is the plan, I would say. So here's what this means. It means one of two things. It means A, that that was not a, a tongue given by God for all of us to hear. Or it means that was from God, but because maybe we've never talked about it or because of inexperience or fear, the person who received the message did not feel comfortable or confident or for whatever reason, didn't stand up and give us the interpretation. So moving forward, when we have a public tongue, there always needs to be interpretation. So that would be the plan. You may say, well, it it never happens here. Why doesn't it happen here? I think for a couple of reasons. First, I think it doesn't happen here because we are a, a wide tent church and we have wanted to be since day one, meaning we want all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds, from all kinds of denominations to lay down all of our preferences and rally around the name of Jesus because it's something we can all agree on. So whenever you have a wide tent like that, people who are at the far ends of the extremes usually have to sacrifice some of their extremes to be a part of the family. So I think it's because of that. I also think it's because of for what Paul says himself in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 19, when he says, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And in chapter 14, verse 23, if the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say to you that you are out of your minds? Now, every week that we gather at Bayou City, we have people on every uh, point in the spectrum of faith. We have some who are incredibly spiritually mature and they could stand shoulder to shoulder with the Apostle Paul. And then we have those of us who are in the journey somewhere. And then we have those of us who have not even started a journey. And you're here today because maybe you've never been to church, but you know that there's some kind of need and you're just taking some baby steps into these things. Or, or maybe you used to go to church, but something happened and you've been out for a long time. And so you're very delicately taking steps back into church. We have people from all across the spectrums. And I think we practice what the Apostle Paul practiced, which is we want everybody to be able to be built up in their faith by what we do on Sunday morning. So we see it in Acts. We see it as a part of corporate worship, but we also see it as private prayer or worship between believer and God. We know the Apostle Paul used tongues in private. How do we know that? Because in Chapter 14, verse 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the very next verse, which we've referenced, he says, but in church, I don't. I would rather say just five regular words in a language everyone can understand than 10,000 words in a tongue because there's a different purpose in church. So we know he's speaking in tongues more than all of us somewhere, but it's not in church. He's using it in private. And what's the purpose of using it in private? Chapter 14, verse four, he says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. It's an act of encouragement to your soul. It fortifies your soul and your spirit. 
And we see him practicing both in chapter 14, verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, meaning I'll pray in tongues, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing my praise with my spirit, meaning tongues, but I will sing with my mind also. So what I see in the Apostle Paul's teaching about tongues is freedom and restraint. Freedom to pursue this spiritual gift and all its benefits, but restraint in its use in public. So the whole church can benefit from understanding and unbelievers will not find what seems like disorder or a stumbling block. Now, there have been a few resources along the way that have been helpful to me in understanding these very mysterious things. And I wanted to share just two of them with you. These men have been trustworthy guides to me in understanding what the Bible says, because I want to do what the Bible says. First is a book called Holy Fire by R.T. Kendall. R.T. Kendall is an amazing pastor. He's probably in his, into his 70s or 80s now. He spent most of his ministry at Westminster Chapel in London. Brilliant scholar, brilliant pastor, and he wrote a great book. If you are the kind of person, when you read the scripture, you would say, I want to be a person fully empowered by the word of God and the spirit of God, then this is the book that you want to read. And then secondary is an article by John Piper called Piper on Prophecy and Tongues, where he just speaks very plainly about it on what the scripture says. And it was very helpful to me and it may be very helpful to you. So that is a list of the spiritual gifts that we find. They're not exhaustive, but probably you've identified maybe a few that might resonate with you. So you have a gift. I have a gift. We have gifts. What do we need to know? Three things on our way out. First, my spiritual gift is an important piece of a whole. My spiritual gift is an important piece of a whole. Verse four. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. The word varieties is used three times. Variety of gifts, a variety of ways those gifts are used, but it's the same spirit that brings them to life. Now, immediately following this section on spiritual gifts, the apostle Paul begins to describe the church like a body, literally the body of Christ. And he says, some are a hand and some are a foot and some are an eye and some are an ear. And uh, he said, we're all one body, but we each are individual members. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Your spiritual gift is a piece of the whole. You're an important piece because God has chosen you and arranged you in just the right spot. Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So this tells us a few things. First, your spiritual gift is the primary way that you will feel connected to the church. If we are a body and we each represent different parts of the body, you feel connected to the church when you are playing your role. If you are a hand, you feel most connected to the body when you're doing the work of a hand or an eye or an ear or a foot. So if right now you evaluate and you say, oh, you know, I don't feel that connected to my church. Ask yourself, am I using my spiritual gift? Your spiritual gift is the most efficient and quickest on-ramp into your connection to the family of God. This also tells us that we need to beware of ranking the gifts. 
We need to be aware of ranking the gifts. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Ranking gifts will eventually lead to an unbiblical imbalance. Imagine a a bodybuilder with me. I used to be a bodybuilder in my younger days, so just imagine that right now. Imagine a bodybuilder who said, I love my right bicep. My right bicep is the best part of me, and I'm going to lean in to my right bicep. So they create workouts just for the right bicep. They organize a diet specifically for the right bicep. When they go to CrossFit, they say to their CrossFit people, hey, it's all about the right bicep. And then they go on Instagram, the right bicep. Because the number one rule of CrossFit is tell people that you CrossFit. Listen, if it stings, it's true. If it stings, it's true. If it doesn't sting, it's not true. Let it go. So you got this bodybuilder who's huge right bicep. It just looks amazing, but their left arm is nothing. A lot of churches are like this. They got a strong right arm and they have a weak left arm. Why? Because somewhere along the way, they rank the gifts. They said, oh, we value and honor, spoken or unspoken, the gift of leadership. But maybe the gift of serving felt dishonored. And what would happen is you'd have a church filled with leaders. In fact, so many leaders that you couldn't get anything done. And then when we went through hard things, we wouldn't have anybody to comfort us because all the people who had the gift of serving said, well, they don't really value my gift. I don't feel at home here. I don't feel connected. And they would have to go and be a part of a different body. But it is God's will that a church can do the ministry of the church. It is God's will that a specific church can do all of the ministry of the church. In a perfect world, whenever a need is presented, God has already provided the answer in someone inside this body. So when a financial need is presented among someone in our family of faith here, someone with the gift of giving needs to step up and meet that need. Whenever there is a need for counseling or wisdom, God would have raised up the people who have a gift of exhortation and the gift of wisdom to meet that need. But when you rank gifts, you end up being strong in one or two areas and weak in all the rest of the areas. And then you end up having to outsource most of your ministry. But God, verse 18, has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Number two, my spiritual gift is for the common good. Verse seven, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. He's referencing here the common good of the church. The apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church in Rome, it's the first time that in the New Testament, the phrase spiritual gift is used in chapter one, verse 11. He says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. God uses your gift to strengthen his church. So when you don't use your spiritual gift, one of two possibilities exist. Either the church is weak in that area or someone has to play their role and your role. There's a rule in the church among church leadership circles called the 80-20 rule. And that is that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. That you have a committed core 
And they do everything. They're the ones who greet us in the parking lot. They're the ones who set everything up and tear everything down. They're the ones that are working in kids ministry. They're the ones who are on the prayer team. They're the ones who are leading a community group. 20% that do everything and 80% who do very little. But that's not what God wants. He's given you a place so that you can play your role. So maybe you don't see a personal motivation in using your spiritual gift, but could you have a motivation of kindness? Could you use your spiritual gift because you know that someone is gonna have to use their spiritual gift to cover not only their role, but also your role? And for their sake, because you love them, because you prefer them, you say, no, I'll play my role so that no one has to cover for me. Another way to translate the phrase common good is profitable. So it would read, to each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the profit of the church, which is a gut check for all of us. Am I someone who profits the church or am I a tax on the church? Am I a generator among the church or am I a taker? Do I start ministry, execute ministry, lead ministry, or do I just use ministry because God has given you a gift for the profit of the church and not for a tax. Number three, my spiritual gift demonstrates the power of the spirit. Early in this letter, the apostle Paul has told the Corinthians, my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the hands of men, but in the power of God. What he's saying is a clever presentation and a well-built argument is not enough. It has to be the Spirit's power for faith to be birthed and built. This is what he means in verse 7 when he says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And verse 11 when he says, All these empowered by one and the same Spirit. It is God's power that moves it from gift to spiritual gift. Your talent alone is not enough to yield transformation in anyone. People could be helped. People could be benefited by your talent. They cannot be transformed in Jesus' name. But when you use your spiritual gift that comes with the power of the Spirit and the life of the Spirit, people's souls and spirits are affected. This past week has been a fairly rough one for the Jones family. Last weekend, our daughter, nine months old, Willa, she started to get sick and it was the gross kind of sickness. I'm not going to go into it, but I need you to feel me on how bad a week. It was like the gross kind of sickness, not the, oh, my tummy hurts, but I'm going to show you what was in my tummy that was making it hurt. So we're just all on the same page, right? She got better. We think, whew, we're past it. And then our seven-year-old Annabeth, boom, got it. She got better, past it. And our 10-year-old Jackson, boom, got it. He gets over it. We're over it. No, Amanda gets it. Boom. So far, I'm the only one to not get it because of my righteous living. So I'll be sick this week. Use it as a vacation. So it was a long week to say the the least. And you know, one 
person in your house with that kind of sickness is. It'll just do you in. But wave after wave after wave after wave, by the end, we were like, whew. And on the night that Amanda started to come down with it, you know, we had exhausted all the saltine crackers in our house. They were all gone. All of the things that you used were all gone. And it's hard to leave the house. And you just feel like everything's coming in around you. And Amanda's in bed. She's starting to sleep it off. And the kids had already gone to bed. And there was a knock on our door. And I went and answered it. And there was no one there. And instead of a person being there, it was just a basket filled with goodies. And all the goodies that you need when you're sick like that big box of saltine crackers and all the things that come along with it. I saw a driveway squealing off down the street. I don't know how to drive a car uh, driving off down the street. Somebody had uh, seen what we were going through and I wrote a little card and said, we love you. We're praying for you. And as I picked up the basket and walking back to the kitchen, I just felt built up. Still sick. Everybody's still sick, but built up in my faith. A box of saltine crackers alone won't do that. But somebody using the spiritual gift of service does. See, spiritual gift is more than just you taking what you're good at and using it in the context of the church. Spiritual gift is God has given me this and God empowers this. And when I am empowered, people can be changed and helped on the inside and not just on the outside. So how do I find my spiritual gift? He says in verse 31 to end chapter 12, he says, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And then he starts chapter 13. And if you've ever been to a wedding, you're familiar with these words. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. If you want to discover your spiritual gift, Live in love and your gift will be revealed. You move in love. When you see a need, let your love move you to meet that need. And over time, the powerful combination of your willing spirit, your heart of love and a need being met, God will clarify for you what your gifts are. Suddenly, opportunities will start finding you tailor-made for your gift. But our job is to not decide ahead of time what our spiritual gift is and then only look for opportunities that fit our grid. Our job is to move in love, see needs, meet those needs, and God will let our gift surface. So if you don't know what your spiritual gift is today, You don't worry about it. You move in faith. You move in love. Move in the power of the spirit. You'll know. You'll know soon enough. Let's pray. God, we thank you for how you've equipped your church and provided for your church and your people. Thank you that you 
build this thing around hearts and faith and not skills and ability. So God, out of worship, out of a heart of worship and love, we say, use our spiritual gifts. I pray Bayou City would not be a place who has one or two really strong muscles and is weak in all other areas, God. But strengthen our entire body so that we can do all of your ministry. We ask these things in Jesus' name.